0: This book is the passion of Paul for people, and it could change your life, and I pray that it will. In a fundamental way, there is nothing more important about you than what you love. What you love is what you value. It's what matters to you. It's what makes your heart sing. It's what fires you up. Well, what fired Paul up was seeing God at work in people. Uh, Paul loved the men and women who came to Christ. He valued them. He cared about them. Later on in this letter, he told them, you are my joy. You are my crown. In chapter 2, verse 8, he said, we cared for you like a nursing mother. We loved you so much that we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. And he begins this letter in, in chapter 1. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Uh, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. We constantly remember you before God. These people were very dear to him. And whatever is dear to us, what what we love and what we care about drives our our lives. Uh, What is dear to us, what we love, what we care about, drives what we pray for and what we give thanks for. Uh, Jesus said, where your treasure is there will your heart be also. Uh, What your treasure is moves your world. Uh, It runs your life. And what we love and treasure in a very unique and special and powerful way shows up in our prayers, what we pray for and what we give thanks for. And if if we pray for and give thanks only uh, for things like good jobs and good grades and good health and good weather and safe trips and good success for us and for our kids, then those are the things that matter most to us. Now, of course, uh, we do and we should pray and give thanks for all those kinds of things. Jesus said, ask whatever you wish. I, I I believe we should pray about everything that is on our heart, all the desires. Bring them before God. But there may be something missing in your prayers that reveal a great need in your heart. And that need is to care most about people and God's work in people. Uh, these were the things that stirred Paul's heart. These were the things that mattered to him. And so these were the things that stirred Paul's heart prayers and his thanksgiving. David Guzik said in his commentary in this chapter, this great passion for souls gave Paul perspective. Lesser things did not trouble him because he was troubled by a great thing, the souls of men. Charles Spurgeon said, get a love for the souls of men. Then you will not be whining about a dead dog or a sick cat or about the complaints of a family or the little disturbances that John and Mary may make by their idle talk. You will be delivered from petty worries if you are concerned about the souls of men. Get your soul full of a great grief for souls and your little griefs will be driven out. You know, that might sound a little... A little hard, but wow, I think that's something we need to hear. Spurgeon actually wrote that about what Paul said in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, where he said, I have a deep and unceasing grief in my heart for for my Jewish brothers and sisters who were not saved. And in, in that case, Paul's grief showed his love for people, his passion for people. That was what caused him to have such deep grief in his heart For his fellow Jews. uh, Who largely rejected Christ. In 1 Thessalonians. And in the book of 2 Thessalonians 2. We're going to see Paul's great joy. and his thanksgiving. Over those who did believe in Christ. And so both what Paul grieved. And what he rejoiced in. Showed Paul's passion for people. It shows Paul's value for people, his love for people and his passion for their souls. Many years ago, I, I did the funeral for my uncle Merwin. Some of you know him. And before the service, I talked to my cousin Candace, and I asked her if there was anything that she wanted me to share about Merwin in the funeral service. And here's what she said. Well, I always felt like Merwin was someone who cared for my soul. And I, I've never forgot that line. At the end of your life, wouldn't you want people to say, I always felt like Cindy or Carmen or David or Chase or any one of you, I always felt like that person cared for my soul. Well, well, Paul cared for people's souls. People and their spiritual well-being were Paul's joy and his sorrow because he loved people. God put a love in his heart for men and women who came to Christ and he poured out his life for them. He said in another place, he said, I love you guys so much. He said, "I I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. It's because he loved them. That's what mattered to Paul. And because that's what mattered to Paul, his prayers are mainly about people and God's work in their lives. And when Paul saw evidences of God at work in people, guess what? He rejoiced and he overflowed with thankfulness, with thanksgiving. Again, later on in this book, he told these same believers, he says, We really live if you stand firm in the Lord. I mean, he says, that, I mean, that's, that's real life to me. When I see you guys faithful, walking with the Lord, standing firm in him, I really live when I see that. He goes right on that same verse to say, For how can we adequ- adequately thank God for you in return for the great joy, for our great joy over you in his presence? Wow. Paul's main source of joy, Paul's main source of thanksgiving was people and the joy that he experienced when he saw them standing firm in Christ. You know, the apostle John said pretty much the same thing in 3 John uh, verse 2, I believe. He says, I was overjoyed when the brothers came and testified about your devotion to the truth in which you continue to walk. And he said this, I have no greater joy. Think about that. I have no greater joy in life than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The apostles exhibited passion for people, passions for people's soul, deep love. They placed a a deep value on the men and women who came to Christ. And they they prayed for them, they labored for them, and They had great joy and gave thanks for them when they saw evidences of God's grace and God's work in their lives. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, are you tuned in to this remarkable source of joy? Um, Honestly, if people and God's work in people doesn't really matter to you, then you will miss out on one of the main wellsprings of joy and thankfulness in life. I mean if we miss this, we we will usually find ourselves grumbling about things that really that don't really matter and failing to find joy in things that matter most and really should make our hearts sing with joy and thankfulness. Lack of joy or thanksgiving in your life It could mean, I know there's a lot of other things that cause sorrow and the struggle for joy, but a a, a general lack of joy or thanksgiving, a habit of thanksgiving in your life, could mean that loving people and valuing God's work in them is not the thing that matters most to you or doesn't matter to you as much as it should. And ironically, the more we try to pull Happiness out of our own comfort, ease, uh, personal peace, success, the less happy we usually are. And we miss out on the joy of celebrating the activity of God in someone else. So, you know, there's a lot of definitions of love floating around out there. Uh, Paul really demonstrates very well, and the other apostles too, but Paul here in this, and really in the books, both books, First and Second Thessalonians, really demonstrates what genuine, what real, real love is, what, what the love of God really is for people. And real love passionately desires to see the work of God taking place in other people. It's what you care about. Loving people is, it's, it is being nice to people, but it's not merely being nice to people. It is not affirming people in their present condition no matter what it is. It is not mainly making people feel good about themselves or building their self-esteem. Now I think when we love people it generally will build them up and encourage them but God's love for people expressed through our lives is not mainly just about uh, building self-esteem or making people feel good about themselves. In other words, this is not just a celebrate the human spirit kind of thing. Loving people is seeking to advance the work of God in people. Uh, Loving people is caring about people's souls, their relationship with God, their salvation, and their spiritual progress. And so uh, here in chapter 1, basically all of this chapter is is uh, really, as I see it, Paul overflowing with thankfulness to God because of the evidences of salvation that he saw in the Thessalonians. Their their spiritual well-being, their well-being in the Lord is what what he had given himself to. Uh, That's what he poured himself out for. That was what mattered to him. It's what he valued. And so, of course, if, if you really value something in somebody, then when you see it, what do you do? You, you rejoice, you give, you give thanks, you overflow with gratitude for seeing that evidence of God's work in that person's life. Verse three, uh, which John read earlier, uh, in the NIV says, I am always remembering before our God and Father, your work, produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul saw these things. He, he, saw, uh, he saw what their faith did. He saw what their, how their hope affected their life. And that was... That was what was generating this this thanksgiving. Faith affects how you live. Faith affects uh, what you do with your life. Uh, Love affects how you live. Uh, Hope affects how you live. You can't see someone's faith, hope, or love, but you can see the results of it in their life. Uh, Faith moves us to, to action or to a work. Uh, love moves, moves, moves us to labor or to lay down our lives for others. Uh, hope makes us steadfast. It's the steadfastness of hope uh, or a hope that makes us people that endure hard things and hard times. And so Paul saw these evidences of faith, love, and hope, and it just caused him to overflow. He says, always, just always overflowing with thanks for, for, for these people because of what he saw in their lives. And here's the message for us, I believe. If, if our value system is right, if the things that we value in our heart is right, then it will create deep joy and thanksgiving when we see evidences of faith and love and hope in another person's life we we will give thanks because these are solid evidences of God at work in that brother or sister and it makes us happy it thrills us and that's really what paul makes very clear as he goes on in verse 4 we know brothers loved by god that he has chosen you he first of all he's you know he's he's seen the evidence of their faith he's seen the evidence of their love he's seen the evidence of their their hope, they have spiritual optimism and they're pressing forward, they're enduring, they're not wavering. And then, so he says, for we know, brothers, love by God that he has chosen you. I think part of the reason, now he's gonna go on and give us more reasons, but I think part of the reason that Paul says, for we know, brothers, or, or uh, the part of the reason he says, we know, brothers, love by God that he has chosen you is part is what if he's just told us. He's just rejoicing over their Evidences of faith, hope, and love. In other words, Paul, he saw the authenticating evidence of God at work in them. He saw the authenticating evidence of salvation, of the work of the Spirit, the evidence of the new birth, evidence of salvation in them. And so he, he, he writes to them in this letter and he says, I think quite boldly, brothers and sisters, we know you are loved by God and that he has chosen you. And I tell you, there's nothing more in the whole world, there's nothing in the, in the whole world that matters more than that. There is no higher honor, uh, no greater dignity, no greater privilege, no greater status uh, than to be loved by God and chosen by him. To be chosen for salvation is the greatest privilege in life. And in the end, it's the only thing that really matters about you or anyone else. So, uh, this just uh, satisfied Paul's heart. It just, it just uh, as they say, caused his heart to sing, caused him to over, overflow with thanksgiving. Because he's just absolutely sure that these people were loved by God and chosen by God. God loves the, the whole world. He demonstrated his love to the whole world. But there is a unique and precious love with which God loves his own children. John said, See how great a love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. So when Paul was saying, We know, brothers, that God loved." Loves you, or has God has loved you? He's 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 I believe pointing to this this special, this unique, this precious love that God has for his for his own children, uh, as John referred to. And although we must respond to the gospel, we must choose to receive Christ, to believe in Christ. Uh, we are. Uh, called to confess Jesus as Lord and to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. But we find in the scripture that behind all of that, it was God who chose us. And so we can say that we are both loved by God and chosen by God. And these are blessings uh, that we can wake up to with great joy uh, every morning. This, again, there's no higher privilege, no greater status in life than these two blessings. And they are, they are able, these two blessings are able to give us joy even at times when it feels like we've lost everything else. And there's times, there's times that you go through in life that are just really painful, disappointing, hard. They're just what the Bible calls affliction. And these two blessings that you are loved by God and chosen by God are able to sustain you even through the worst afflictions in this life. And when we see the evidences of of authentic faith in other people, I think we should go tell them, just like Paul, we should follow Paul's example and we we should go around really telling one another I know, brother or sister, that God loves you and that he has chosen you. I was maybe going to have us uh, do that to each other this morning, but I don't know, sometimes that can get a little hokey. But you know what I mean. I'm, I'm, I'm serious about this. I challenge you sometime this week uh, to maybe your spouse or son or, or daughter or a grandchild or a friend or some other brother or sister in the body of Christ, in some way or other, just tell them, hey, I, you know, I, I see God in your life. I see the evidence of the new birth of God's spirit. And I just want to tell you, I know, I know, dear friend, dear brother, sister, that God loves you. And that he has chosen you for himself. All right, Paul moves on to further evidence of, of authentic salvation in uh, these uh, people at, at Thessalonica. And this... This further evidence or this next evidence is the power and work of the Holy Spirit. And verse five, uh, and the, really the logic here going into verse five is: we know, brothers, that you are beloved of God and that He has chosen you. For our gospel came to you uh, not in word, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction. I want you to think about each one of those free phrases. Our gospel, our message, the, our words proclaiming the gospel came, came to you not only in words. Words are important, the words were very important. But it came not only in, in words, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with complete or full conviction. I believe that what Paul was saying here is the Holy Spirit gave you a deep, powerful sense in your soul that the gospel words were true. It created this deep conviction, this deep assurance in you that what I was telling you was from God. It was true. It came with power and conviction in the Holy Spirit. This is a really important thing to have happen in people's lives and to have happen in your life. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones said the test of authenticity for anything that claims to be Christian is the test of power. There is a power in Christianity that produces real effects in people. And without that power, people don't change. People don't become new people. It's it's the power of the Holy Spirit that produces this deep conviction uh, that accompanies the gospel message that produces this transformation in people. So the Word of God obviously must be preached and taught clearly. But there is a difference, there's a big difference between just hearing words or the words coming in the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes more than words alone. To to be regenerated. To become a new person. To have new life. The Spirit must act upon you. I love the uh, story that Luke tells in Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10 it says, Well, While Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to the message. I love that. And I pray for that to happen every time I open my mouth. As we teach, as we speak, pray that the Holy Spirit would fall on all those who are listening to the message. And in that case, uh, the story, obviously, the the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit falling was uh, authenticated by. Uh, them speaking in tongues, and it became uh, evidence, uh, became obvious that God had done something here, that he had saved them, that he had had worked in these people. Something like that has to happen in our lives. There there has to be a confirming work and evidence of the power of, of, of the Holy Spirit, his conviction coming upon us. And Thank God, the Holy Spirit does give this experiential confirmation of the message to all those who are being saved. I read about a man recently who said, When I got saved, the gospel message came to me with such power that it buckled my knees. I love that expression. It affected him. The message came with with an effect with the, with the effect, the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul was saying here, the proof of their being chosen by God was the power of the Spirit they experienced under the preaching of the gospel. Now, I'm going to expand on this just a bit because I, uh, I think we don't often understand this. Uh, you know, we can sense the Holy Spirit and we can sense other spirits. When I was in Syria several years ago, I could feel, almost wherever I went in that country, the presence of another spirit. I mean, there were places in these Muslim strongholds where you felt, you didn't just hear about it, you felt the darkness, you felt the other spirit or spirits that were there. And if you've ever been around, say, a statue of, of a Buddha, or a Muslim mosque, or you've been around somebody that's dabbling in in New Age things or, or a New Age spiritual healing. You just have an awareness that there is a different spirit at work there. Well, in the same way, when the Word of God comes to you, when the Gospel comes to those who are being saved, you sense, you become aware of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened to these Thessalonians. They felt, they knew experientially his presence and power. Uh, And there's this deep inner conviction that comes with it. Uh, The Holy Spirit communicates with your spirit and you just know. You know directly from God that he is at work. And you know that this is a message coming to you from God. Romans eight tells us this is ultimately how we know that we are saved. It says the the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's just confirming assurance, deep conviction, deep inner conviction that we just know because the Holy Spirit communicates that to our spirit, and that's what happened to the Thessalonians and. Paul saw evidence of the Spirit's power. He saw evidence of the Spirit's assurance in these people and it proved to him that they were beloved of God, that they were chosen by God, and it just drove Paul to uh, this overflowing sense of thanksgiving for them because uh, he knew these these people now belonged to God. He knew it wasn't anything... uh, phony. He, he knew it wasn't anything half-hearted. It was full, real, genuine, full-on new birth, real salvation. Uh, you know, sometimes when I'm praying for people to be saved, there's so many conceptions of what that word be saved means. I, I pray for people to get saved with a real salvation, to be really saved. The kind of salvation that Paul's talking about here in this chapter. That's what we want to see happen in people. All right, The next evidence uh, of salvation that Paul saw in them was their joy in the Holy Spirit despite their suffering. Verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, and I have been blessed to travel to these areas. I was in Philippi and, and in Thessalonica. And uh, it's interesting that Paul came to Thessalonica, Th- Th- Thessalonica and they call it Thessaloniki today, we believe is the way they pronounce it when we were there. But Paul came to Thessalonica just after he had been beaten and jailed at Philippi. Well, you know what happened at Philippi. Paul, Paul was beaten, thrown in prison, he and Silas. Well, what did they do? You know the story. Uh, He and Silas were singing hymns of praise to God at midnight in the jail after they were beaten. Uh, No doubt the Thessalonians heard about that. They knew Paul suffered with joy, and it says they became imitators of Paul, or actually Paul puts it, you became imitators of me. And I think he's specifically referring to this this attribute, and there's many things to, I- to imitate about Paul, but I think he, here he's talking about them imitating his joy in the Holy Spirit in the midst of really hard, painful things. And that is an evidence, brothers and sisters, of salvation. That is an evidence of God at work in you. When you can sing and praise God at midnight after being beaten in the jail. That's evidence of God. When you can sing and praise God in your, pray, in your pain, in your disappointment, the stuff that you're going through that maybe nobody else knows about but it's really super hard and just creates a lot of inner suffering for you, when you can do that and bear up under it and even exhibit the joy of the Holy Spirit in that, that's, that's God. That's evidence of the Spirit of God. That's evidence of the joy of ...of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural joy that comes from the Spirit in you. When Paul was with the Thessalonians, if you go back and read the story in Acts, I believe it's Acts 17... Uh, ...he ministered to them, he poured out his life for them there, he preached, taught... ...but before long he was, he was actually ran out of town by an angry mob. I mean, they were, they were bent on harming him, doing him real bodily harm... They chased him out of town. Well, guess what? The Thessalonians saw that. They saw Paul, they, they saw Paul, how Paul was treated. They knew they were going to be treated likewise. Uh, Paul mentions that that uh, they became imitators of the Lord right in the same context. And I I think again I I I I think that it, because of the context, Paul was probably uh, referring to the fact that they had obviously heard in the gospel about the Lord's suffering. I mean, that's a main part of the gospel story, that Jesus suffered and gave his life for us, that he died on a cross for our sins. They heard about that. They knew that. And so they, they but it says they became imitators of Paul and of the Lord. They knew the high cost of being a Christian, and yet they received the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to dwell on this too long to kind of lose our, our train of thought, but I hope everybody knows here that the Christian life is a fight. Uh, it's, it's an encounter with God. When, when you come to truly know God, like these people at Thessalonica, it's an encounter with God that will put you at odds with the world. It's, it's a life full of fiery trials, as Peter said, and certainly more intense at times than others. But that is the Christian life. And yet the joy of the Holy Spirit is real, and the joy of the Holy Spirit is right there in the trial, in the suffering, in the affliction, and the joy of the Holy Spirit compensates for any and all afflictions that you have gone through, that you're presently going through, or that you ever will go through. And so we come and we, we receive or we welcome the word of God with great joy in spite, in spite of the cost, in spite of the suffering. And when you see people doing that, when you see when you see people who are you know, very, getting very practical right here on a Sunday morning, receiving the word, and doing it with joy, even you know some parts of their life are really rotten, hard, painful, difficult. When you see people sitting here receiving the word of the Lord with joy, no matter what they're going through, that is a validation of genuine faith. And When Paul saw that kind of validation of faith, uh, he knew that these people were beloved of God and he overflowed with thanksgiving for them. And we ought to do that too. I mean, when we see people that are uh, going through hard times and they've just got stuff going on in their life that's difficult, uh, they don't know how they're going to get through, and yet somehow they've got this uh, joy of the Lord in their heart, uh, they've got this radiance that comes through, There's, the joy of the Lord is, even shines in their countenance, even though they're going through that. You ought, to, you ought to tell them that, you know what, I see God in you, I see evidence of God's work in you, I see evidence that you're beloved of God uh, and chosen by God because I see this solid, uh, authenticating kind of faith and response in your heart and your life. Next uh, next thing that that Paul gives thanks for, uh, he he celebrates their their pure allegiance to God alone. Verse 9, For they themselves report, Concerning us, the kind of reception that we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They didn't add God onto other things in their lives. Uh, God truly became their God. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that, goes, that happens here in the United States, the U.S. of A., I love I those, just the extra amens I'm hearing out there this morning. I just rejoice over that. Um, one of the things that goes on here in the United States is that people do a lot of, there's a lot of God talk and people, there's, there's a lot of talk about being a Christian um, and, and all it is is merely adding Christ or, or adding God into everything else that's already going on in their lives. Everything else that they're already committed to, everything else that they're already doing, already love, uh, regardless of what it is. Well, these people didn't do that. They replaced their idols uh, with God alone. God truly became their God. And you know what, we might uh, think, well, that'd be pretty easy to give up a little idol sitting on a shelf. You know, that, that shows a fact that we really probably don't understand them or their culture. I mean, to them, they were, they were super attached to these idols. They trusted in them. These idols were their gods. That's where they went for their security. And yet, when Paul came with the message of the gospel, again, it came with power and conviction of the Holy Spirit, and it produced a radical and definite change of allegiance and they put their allegiance in God alone they turned their back on the things that they once loved and worshipped and trusted in it was a complete total change of allegiance and that has to happen in your life there there is no true christianity without that that is the evidence of true salvation we turn from things that we used to, to trust in and worship and adore and we turn to worship and serve God alone. Um, God truly becomes our God. I think it's probably more than 50 years ago uh, that Bob Dylan sang you're going to have to serve somebody. Uh, it might be the devil, it might be the Lord but you're going to have to serve somebody. And people do. We all do. Everybody does. Everybody serves something. Everybody serves uh, somebody or something. And if you don't know what it is, if you don't know who you serve or what you serve, the people that know you could tell you if you ask them. It's evident who and what you serve. And genuine salvation always means changing who you serve and what you serve. And that, that clearly happened in these believers at Thessalonica. And it thrilled Paul to see that. Uh, he rejoiced over this mark of authentic salvation. And he gave thanks to God for them. All right, The last confirming evidence of salvation that Paul saw in them is that they eagerly anticipated the return of Jesus. Uh, right after Paul said that they you know, they uh, turned from their idols to God and to serve the living and true God. It says, and they did something else. And, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So even after they had only been believers for a fairly short time, they had this this new hope. They had this new future laid out before them. The cry of their heart was, come Lord Jesus. Uh, God is at work in a person when they begin to love the appearing of Christ. And Paul said "You know, there's, there's a crown. There's a crown for me. But not only for me but also for all who love the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's a mark it's a mark of believer. It's a mark of genuine belief that we, be, that we begin to become attached to this future glorious event. Uh, I was reading a book uh, by a guy, and I honestly don't know much about him. Uh, I'm, I, he, I th- without doubt, he's, he's a Christian, and, and, but I love this quote, and I pray that myself, and I pray that everybody in this room Would be able to say amen to this. Uh, I pray that this this would be our attitude. Here's what he said. It's a little bit longer, but, but it's powerful. Stay with me. Joel Richardson said, I love Jesus. I love scouring the gospels that I might know him better. I love studying what the Bible says about his return. I love nothing more than meditating on this glorious future reality. Yes, Jesus has come, but he is also coming back. My relationship with Jesus is not merely one of studying who he was, but joyfully looking forward to seeing him with my own eyes and meeting him face to face. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, the return of Jesus and the establishment of his kingdom is the primary focal point of all expectation, longing, and hope. I love that sentence so much, I'm going to read it again. From the beginning of the Bible to the, to the end, the return of Jesus in the establishment of his kingdom is the primary focal point of all expectation, longing, and hope. That is why Peter said, fix your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is, why, this is also why the cry of the early church was not only, hallelujah, praise the Lord, but it was also Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. I hope you can say amen to that. Amen. You know, when Jesus comes back, uh, when, when, um, when, when, when God's son comes from heaven, is the way Paul puts it, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, when, when this Jesus uh, comes back, This present uh, wicked world system, this fallen world, it's going to come to an end. There will be an end to this age. Uh, Wrath and judgment will be poured out. But through Jesus, we who know Jesus, we will be delivered from the wrath to come. And so our, our great hope in life, our great hope for the future is the coming of God's Son the second time. And no matter how, how terrible things look, either in our personal lives or in the United States of America or uh, around the world, no matter how terrible things look or how much trouble we personally are experiencing, Christ is coming back in power and glory. And that's a, that's a comfort that overcomes all the adversity, all the brokenness of this world that we face now. And this, again, this a- anticipation. Uh, This love for Jesus appearing is again solid evidence of genuine salvation in a person's life. So, these things that we've covered this morning, these things that Paul wrote wrote about uh, here in First First Thessalonians chapter one, uh, these these kind of uh, things happening in people's lives, these these kinds of things becoming evident in people's lives, are the things that ultimately. Matter to God and to us these are the things that Paul prayed for the things that he labored for the things that he gave thanks for may God move our hearts in a deep powerful real way so that these things become the things that we pray for and work for in others and the things that move us to a life of thanksgiving you know I, I could point out someone in our church body, probably all knew who I'm t- talking about. She just, re- she just rejoices in what God's doing in other people's lives. She gets so much joy out of seeing you do well in the Lord. And there oughta, that, that ought to be a, a, an in, a gr- increasing quality in all of us. That We just, we just uh, find so much joy, overflow with so much thanksgiving when we see these uh, evidences of God. Of God's Word, God's salvation in people's lives. There is another thing that I think is really important that we address this morning. I don't want to unnecessarily uh, question anyone's salvation or create doubts when someone is genuinely saved, but God could also use this scripture to alert to alert someone here this morning or listening that you may not actually be saved. You maybe have known all the lingo, the language, the culture, the, you know, you can, you can uh, sound like, you know how to sound like a Christian, look like a Christian, but are, are these evidences in your life? Are, are they there? Uh, th- these are, the things that we've talked about this morning, these are the solid, uh, authenticating, uh, evidences that, that you know God and that God knows you and chose you and loved you. And so uh, if, if you do not have these evidences of salvation, uh, this would be a great morning to turn to God, to come to God and ask him to save you, to come for, just tell, tell him, I want to know, I want to know a, what it means to be really saved. I want to know the full power and conviction and work of the, of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to be a genuinely, uh, authentically saved man or woman. I want to turn from my idols and my past and the things that I've given myself to, and I want to turn to God and serve the true and living God. And of course, for all of us, it, sure, it should stir up in our heart to, uh, to clearly have people and God's work in people at the, at the top of our value system, at the top of what matters to us. Um, if it's not, you know, we correct that with repentance. You know, Jesus went through the letters to the churches, always mentioned things that were wrong with the churches. What was the solution to every single church everything that was wrong <laughs> repent repent humbly pray for God to open your heart more to his values and, and I'm, I see this for young, young people too I, honestly I'm amazed at, at, at the way some of the young people in our church love people and value and care for what God is doing in their lives this is not, this is not something just for grown ups every one of us can benefit from this to love what god loves to treasure what god treasures to care about what god cares about people's souls to care about people's relationship with god their salvation and their spiritual progress all right let's